The United Arab Emirates is consistently supporting global efforts to address climate change by announcing effective solutions that enable low carbon sectors, as well as leading projects that support the country's future strategies and aspirations. This year, COP28 will take place in the UAE, and the conference will help showcase the amazing innovations and ideas from the region that help address the needs of climate change. At the start of 2023, the Zayed Sustainability Prize Award Ceremony took place bringing together some of the world's leading champions in sustainability to showcase and recognize the wonderful work these champions are doing. Today, I speak with two of these organizations that have been awarded prizes in water and energy for their pioneering and inspiring work. I hope you enjoy the episode. In the first of two interviews, as part of our Zayed Sustainability Prize episode special, I speak with the Local Environment Development and Agricultural Research Society, or LEADERS for short. LEADERS is a nonprofit and non-political organization that's been working for social, economic, and environmental development of the poor and marginalized people of the southwest coastal region of Bangladesh since 1996. Leaders is on a mission to support and equip people with appropriate methods to raise their voice for establishing basic human rights in order to ensure livelihood security of the most vulnerable and socially excluded segments of the population. In the first of two interviews in this episode, I speak with Mohan Kumar Mundal, the executive director of Leaders, to learn about his nonprofit and how their work is creating real change within the areas they support. Hi, Mohan. Thank you very much for joining the Sustainability Champions podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you very much, Daniel. Uh, it's great uh, to having me in this uh, session. I'm so much excited. Uh, thank you very much. And I appreciate that. So the way I like to start these conversations is by taking a step back and looking at the bigger picture. So could you please introduce yourself and give a brief descri description on the <clears throat> Leaders Water Initiative? Okay, uh, actually, Leaders is, a, is an environmental NGO. It is established in the coastal area of Bangladesh. The full name of Leaders is Local Environment Development and Agricultural Research Society. Actually, in my st student life, we established a local club in 1996 uh, in the coastal area. And uh, it's a, it got the registration from the government, the NGO Affairs Bureau of Bangladesh and the Social Welfare Society in Bangladesh. And actually, um, the last decade of the last century, uh, the coastal people started to face the negative impact of climate change, like the sea level rise, like the um, river bank erosion, like the floods, like tidal surge, salinity increase. And that time, the coastal people started to migration from the coastal area. It is very painful that people are living and our relatives, our neighbors are living. And that time we emerged our local club to a development NGO in 2003. We started our activities in 2003, actually. And uh, from 2003, we are uh, now restlessly are working with the community. And yeah, when when <clears throat> sea levels start to change and and oceans start to um, be less predictable, it can be very challenging, I imagine, to live near them. So, uh, you mentioned that you started your activities in two thousand three. I mean, what 
what kind of activities are are you working on and, and doing? Basically, um, in the coastal area, the most of the groundwater is uh, saline, and that's why people have to relate to the surface water for their drink and for their daily use. But uh, due to the uh, river bank erosion and the tidal surge, the surface water is getting contaminated with the seawater, mm -hmm. and it is getting saline. And the soil and water salinity is increasing in this area. And the agriculture production is decreasing in this area. And due to the uh, lack of drinking water, uh, especially the uh, in Bang Bengali culture, the women of the family are responsible for collecting the drinking water. It is a tradition in Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. So the women need to four or five four and five kilometer distance to collect the drinking water. And collect the pond water only. The pond water is not clean water, but they don't have any kind of option to accept drink the pond water. And uh, the poor family, they have some adolescent girl, and sometimes the adolescent girl go to collect the pond water, and sometimes they face some physical and sexual harassment uh, when they're collecting the water from the distance places. And the Drinking water and the surface water contamination accelerate the livelihood crisis in the coastal area. That's forced to uh, forced to the vulnerable people to migration, mm -hmm. and uh, it is very painful that some of our relatives, some, uh, my only maternal uncle, left the area. It is very painful, and we started our uh, water-related activities in 2003. We installed five rainwater harvesting system, community level rainwater harvesting systems. You know, the, you know uh, people can manage food, people can manage some other thing, some other goods for their lives, but they are not capable. They are not uh, capable to purchase the drinking water and the daily use water, what they need daily. It is, it is, uh, it is a uh, universal commodity and every human, they have the rights to get the drinking water to survive. And uh, as people are migrating from the coastal area, we est started our community level activities. In 2003, when we established some um, systems with the support of NGO from Dhaka, that time a lot of people came to us. Please give us only the water device, not other things they do not need, other things to give only the water devices so that they can even they can drink uh, without food, they can drink the water for survive. It is very painful. And we started our water activities in 2003. And so these water activities, and, and thank you for outlining that. Um, so you mentioned rainwater harvesting systems. Is that the primary, um, is that the primary <clears throat> thing that you're focusing on is collecting rainwater or are there other? Yes, first. Go on, go ahead. Yes. In the first, uh, when we started in 2003, we focused the rainwater collection because the surface water is, uh, uh, surface water is getting saline. So, uh, and that time, the reverse osmosis technology is not available in the coastal, in the remote area. Mm -hmm. It is super technology. That's why we are, that time we started to dig the drinking water pond to establish the ponds and filter also. The ponds and filter is a slow sand water technology what can treatment the surface water? Unfortunately, the ponds and filter, they cannot remove the salinity. But traditionally in the coastal area, every people have the have a pond. And that's why then we focus 
after rainwater, we focus the surface water treatment. And we dig um, 28, 28 uh, big pond for drinking purpose. And we install and activated 65 ponds and filter in the community. And 2007, we started a small activities. We bring a technology from Nepal that called the uh, Biosan filter. Biosan filter is a uh, in, innovated by MIT, but it is a solution filter technology like ponds and filter, but it is a household technology. Ponds and filter is a community technology. The household technology can, can survive long time because the family, they can they can manage the uh, household technology when they need. So and the... till now, we install 5,250 biosan filter in the coastal area. And also we um, we install uh, some uh, uh, reverse osmosis system, like two reverse osmosis system we install, uh, already installed and two are being installed in this in our area to treatment the drinking. And, uh, and Mohan, is, is the goal of these activities to make sure that, or to allow people the option to stay in the coastal areas? Is that what you're, what you're hoping to do is bring freshwater capacity so that people don't need to leave and and don't need to migrate inland and, and to other areas for, for fresh water? Exactly, exactly, because uh, the living for the land is very miserable. They are now staying in the uh, slab, in the, in the slum in the city, and mm. a very miserable life. It is very painful. Our initiative is to try the hardship to reduce the hardship of their life so that people do not need to migration from the coastal area. And the drinking water scarcity is the main problem, what create a lot of problem like uh, declination of agriculture, uh, like um, uh, livelihood, other livelihood crisis. And you'll astonish to heard that. The drinking water, due to lack of drinking water, people are facing a lot of disease. And the pregnant women, are facing, are suffering preeclampsia, what is forced them to miscarriage. And the women in the coastal area, especially the poor women of the coastal area who are using saline water every day, they are getting infection with the cervical infection. And mm. some of them are already infected by the cervical cancer. And a woman, we know that they bound to detect their cervical organ. And his her family is now in drug in the condition in broken because they don't have the reproductive capacity. That's why the poor people, they do not want to keep the that woman who detect their cervical organ. It is very painful. It is inhuman condition in the coastal area, you, you, uh, you know. So our initiative is to reduce the drinking water scarcity, is to give the irrigation water for their better livelihood and to reduce the hardship of life what people are suffering in the coastal area. Hmm. Well, I, based on what you're outlining, there are clearly a lot of challenges that come from freshwater scarcity. And as you said, you can survive without food for some time, but you can't survive without drinking water for very long at all. Fresh, clean exactly. drinking exactly. water. Um, and Mohan, before we started the recording, you mentioned that you're uh, based in a uh, you're you're on, you're in a coastal city um, which is surrounded by mangroves. Um, can you? Talk a little bit about what mangrove trees are, because they're a very unique forest system. Um, 
Yeah, so I'd be curious to know a little bit about, first of all, what is a mangrove mangrove tree? And then second of all, um, is deforestation of these mangroves at all contributing to the freshwater crisis? Actually, um, thank you for your questions. The forest where we are living, it's named Sundarbon. Sundarbon is the world's largest mangrove forest. And only the Royal Bengal tiger is available in the Sundarbon in the world. So it is famous forest in the in forest in the in um, in our in in the world and also in the India and Bangladesh. So due to the freshwater is, is scarcity, when people become unemployed, they sometimes migrate from the coastal area, and some people they become dependent on the resource collection of Sundarbans. That is also a major factor that the Sundarbon is, uh, the ecosystem is Sundarbon is degrading because a lot of people now depended on the Sundarbon research collection. And the people, uh, those traditionally in the coastal area, there are some aboriginal people like the, uh, the Jele, the fishermen, they are before 50 years ago, they are only uses the resource of the Sundarbans. But now, Normal community, in general, the Muslim and Hindu community, they are going to Sundarbon to collecting the resources, and the Sundarbon is degrading day by day. And uh, you know that the magnitude, magnitude, and the devastation is increasing of the uh, of the oceanic cyclones. And every year we are facing a lot of problem. Like uh, we faced very devastating cyclone in 2007 and 2009. But after 2011, every year we are facing a very devastated cyclones. In 2019, we faced two devastated cyclones in this area. And 2018, 2020, 2021, 22, we faced very remarkable disaster. What is already uh, published a lot of news in the international media. And the people who are not responsible for climate change, but due to the oceanic catastrophics, they are they are suffering a lot. And and so this, the degradation or the deforestation of the mangrove forests is, would you say that's the primary cause or it's one of the causes? I, I mean, I suppose the question really is if if we can start bringing the forest back, um, the Schunderbund, as you as you call it, um, would that alleviate some of the challenges that you're facing both with freshwater scarcity and with protection from the cyclones because uh, i suppose for context a, a mangrove forest is a very interesting forest it's um trees that live in tidal zones meaning these are areas where uh, the ocean goes in and out and these forests actually or right. these trees can actually survive in salt water because they have very specific root systems that allow them to do that and as part of that yes. a mangrove forest actually protects just like you're saying um, protects the, the land from intense winds and ocean um, uh, waves and, and cyclones. And so it's a very important um, mitigation factor, I suppose, from these kind of natural disasters. Uh, but when people start cutting the trees down due to economic reasons, like you've outlined, then that, that barrier starts to disappear. So um, so would bringing the forest back and somehow, you know, encouraging reforestation or at least forest protection, would, would that be a, a, a big positive change in, in this community? Actually, the forest, you correctly mentioned that the forest, mangrove forest is different. 
So people do not need to regenerate. People do not need to plant the mangrove trees. If we stop the human interfere interfere inside the Sundarbon, it will grow up. Uh, it will grow up naturally. So first of first of all, we have to reduce the human interfere inside the Sundarbon. And you know that the the mangrove trees they can grow, they can uh, sustain in the saline water. But the animals like tigers horin bear deer everything they need the fresh water they cannot drink the drink the salt water but in the in the sundarbon they have a big big pond in the forest area they have a big pond and the tigers and deer they come there they drink the uh, sweet water for, for survive but due to the sea level rise due to the uh, uh, due to increase of cyclones and tidal surge all the uh, surface uh, water source inside the Sundarbon, it is contaminated uh, with the saline water. That's why last several years, we got we got news that there are some tigers are dying because their stomach has lost, their stomach uh, is not working because of drinking salt water. Mm. So if the tiger is not available in the Sundarbon, Sundarbon will not sustain. So the human interfere due to the unemployment in the side of the Sundarban impact zone, it is one of the main problem of Sundarbans and also the salinity increase are another problem in Sundarban. So we have to regain, we have to restore our Sundarban if we sustain the human settlement in the coastal area. Yeah, it's it's incredible how much all of these things interact with each other. You know, it's not just right. If you just look at one component, I mean, yes, you can bring rainwater harvesting systems into the community, and and that will alleviate, you know, one of the immediate challenges of lack of or, or freshwater scarcity. But if you if you take a step back and zoom out and take a look at the the overall system there's a lot of different elements here at play. You, it, One can't just look at um, one little system. You can't just look at one aspect and say, okay, we're just going to solve freshwater by bringing in rainwater harvesting. You, In, in order to create a sustainable long-term solution, it's really important to think right. about the entire system, whether it's you know ocean health, uh, mangrove health, community health, all of these things work together. And if you take one piece out of that puzzle, then it becomes um, it, well. It stops functioning. It's 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 an ecosystem. They all it, it all works together in right. a big cycle. Yeah. Yes. So, Mohan, a, you've recently won the Zayed Sustainability Prize. Um, can you can you talk a little bit about what the prize is and uh, what it means for you to win this prize? Because clearly, I, I suppose I, I'll just mention. The work that you're doing is very important. Fresh water is life, as we've talked about, and health. So it's incredibly important to focus on this work. So um, you've won the sustain the Zayed Sustainability Prize. So what is the prize, and and what does it mean to you to be a winner of this prize? Actually, uh, I think I do not know why they chose us as winner, but I think we are trying to development a an integrated water resource management model in the coastal, in the disaster-prone area. That is the main main point uh, why we win this prize. So uh, we not only managing the surface water, we also managing the groundwater also. And we are not working to provide the drinking water. We are also working to give the irrigation water for the for the 
um, barren land in this area. That's why I think we win this that prize. And by doing our small initiative, we gave we created a, access for the for more, near about sixteen thousand families. They are getting the safe drinking water, and uh, five hundred acre land came uh, came into the um, uh, agriculture cultivated area. What uh, is what was barren before um, ten or fifteen years ago? So uh, I would like to thank the authority of the Zayas Sustainability Prize because we are a very small organization. We are working in a very remote area of Bangladesh. You will uh, you will wondering to know that we are 350 kilometer distance from Dhaka city. And and after our settlement, there have no people are living. After mm. our settlement, they have Sundarban, then Bay of Bengal, then Indian Ocean. No people are living. So we are very remote area. And the Zayas Sustainability Prize, I think, they are inspiring the uh, global uh, uh, innovative uh, uh, solution who are bringing the innovative solution like in health, water, food, and energy sector, and also in the global um, high school level. So I think uh, this prize is encouraging us a lot that what we are doing here, it is very important, though we are not so much caring that what we are doing, we are doing are doing every year, every day we are working, but someone who appreciate us by giving that kind of prize. The Zai Sustainability Prize is a great achievement for leaders and we are so much thankful and gratitude to the authority uh, of Zai Sustainability Prize and also the government of UAE to select us to give us the opportunity. I think uh, <clears throat> His Highness uh, Sheikh Zayed bin Sultan Al Nahyan, he tried to uh, united the UAE. He tried to unite united the UAE against the uh, discrimination, against the against the fight for reduce of poverty, against their. He tried to bring the prosperity of UAE people. So his mission is never end. His mission will alive with us. Because we are working to um, to give that kind of uh, that kind of we are working in the community, keeping that kind of mission in our mind. We have to uh, unite the global leader. We have to unite the vulnerable people against climate change. We have to unite the uh, people uh, against climate crime. We have to unite the vulnerable people to fight back the climate crisis and we have to give them the solution for their survival, for their resilient livelihood. And I think the Zayas Sustainability Prize uh, gave us a lot of opportunity. For for the audience of your um, of your show, I'd like to say those who are watching this video, who are watching this episode, I am requesting you to apply the next round because the Zai Sustainability Prize is not only a prize, it is a great platform to promote your innovation. It is a great platform to network with other like-minded organizations. It is a great, great platform to know each other, the innovative solution, solution, solution and get involved with the innovative people who are doing a lot of things across the world.
So please apply for the next round for the Jai Sarasvati Prize. And we are we are so much we are happy to get this amazing prize. And in our life, we will never forget to the Jai Sarasvati Prize Authority to give us a opportunity and give us a honor. Well, thank you very much for that, uh, Mohan, and, and congratulations on on winning the prize. And it sounds like, based on what you're saying, it's um, not only a, a great opportunity to to grow and 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 expand the work you're doing, but it's also just, I, I imagine, a good feeling to know that what you are doing is clearly uh, important beyond the impact that you're seeing on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, sometimes that kind of external validation can be really, really important. Kind of main final question I have um, for you is really about the future for leaders, uh, Water Initiative, and and what that looks like. What what are you planning to do next, and what are you hoping to accomplish uh, in the coming, I suppose, years? Uh, you know, what is what's the vision moving forward? Actually, my passion because that sustainability prize honor us, give us a lot of money. So my passion to give the water solution to the community people first. There are a lot of people who need the drinking water support. So we will first, first uh, at first uh, when we'll get the money, we'll go for some solution to drink, reduce the drinking water scarcity in the coastal area. And then we'll focus the livelihood option of the women at face who are living miserable condition in this area. And we will try to promote the uh, re uh, renewables, uh, ener renewable energy, because uh, the in the island area, there are some, some um, pocket that do, don't have any electricity. And those who have electricity, the load shedding is the main problem. So we'll try to promote um, renewables energy so that um, we can contribute to reduce the greenhouse gases. And um, and we'll try to bring innovation, all of our activities so that it can sustain for long run. And we have to try to sustain our organization and our services uh, so that we are able to manage all resources effectively and we can work long time. Thank you, Mohan. I think um, two things you mentioned there. First of all, the future of the uh, the future for leaders and what you see, uh, the vision that you have is much broader than just fresh drinking water, which of course is very important. But you're you're clearly here to do a lot of community support and, and ensure that your the community where you're working is is well taken care of and and uh, has the means to be. Uh, sustainable and to live sustainably uh, in the long term. And I think the second point is, you know, regarding your call to action, uh, this is something that we at Sustainability Champions talk about frequently, which is the idea of um, individuals having the power to make a difference. And I think what, what you're saying about people raising their voices and doing what they can to support vulnerable communities in vulnerable places uh, is very important. And it's, it's an action that one individual can do. And if you have many individuals coming together, then a lot can happen. And the call to action that you're saying about raise your voice and, and, you know, talk to people and support 
NGOs, both local and global. And there's so many things that you can do to ensure that communities like yours, where you're working, Mohan, are supported and heard um, and, and uh, attention is is brought there so that people around the world see the see the challenges that are being that are that people are facing and also provide the solutions and the support to both alleviate and and mitigate those those difficulties so um mohan thank you very much for your time and for going through this for for anyone who wants to learn more about leaders beyond what we've talked about today and perhaps get involved or, or donate or just, just to read about what you're doing, where is the best place for people to go? Is is it your website or do you have another place that you prefer? Yes, our website. I think um, uh, leaders, they spelling L-E-D-A-R-S dot O-R-Z is our website. So please go there. And, um, and we have the Facebook pages, LinkedIn pages, uh, Twitter, just leaders. Thus, I'd like to remind that a spelling of leaders is L-E-D-A-R-S. So, and you search in the LinkedIn um, and uh, what's LinkedIn and Facebook uh, uh, and also Twitter, you, you can get our connections. And we would love to have you, uh, we would love if, we, if you communicate with us through our email, Connecting from uh, collecting from our website, and we'll happy to answer any of your questions if you ask us. Well, thank you for that, Mohan. Thank you very much, and I'd like to thanks. Uh, I'd like to give the um, give big hand, big hand to Zai Sustainability Prize to honor us and give us a chance to scale up our initiative. Thank you very much, um, Daniel, to having me in this your uh, amazing episode. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mohan. And one more time for anyone who's listening who wants to take a look at the at Leaders uh, Water Initiative, it's ledars.org, leaders.org. And you can see and, and learn about their uh, the work that they're doing in Bangladesh to support communities uh, who are at risk for uh, lack of fresh water. So Mohan, thank you so much again for, for your time today and, and for all the work that you're doing. Uh, it's very important and clearly it's working. Uh, and you're taking it one day at a time, which is, I think, how you how we have to tackle and really approach these large issues as one day at a time and one one step at a time. So uh, it's very inspiring to hear the work, to hear about your success so far. So thank you again and best of luck moving forward. Thank you very much. In our second interview in this episode, as part of the Zayed Sustainability Prize special, I speak with a team at Neurotech. Based in Jordan, Neurotech was recognized at this year's Zayed Sustainability Prize, winning the Energy Award for developing an AI-based algorithm with a blockchain-based transaction system to bring reliable energy access to refugee camps and underdeveloped areas. Neurotech is a small to medium-sized organization with five team members making up their operations. Established in 2018, their vision is to become the MENA region's leading energy and technology company. Today, I speak with Omar and Abdul Rahman to learn about their innovation and the positive impact it has on those most vulnerable. Hi, Omar. Hi, Abdul Rahman. Thank you very much for joining the Sustainability Champions podcast. It's great to have you on the show. 
Yeah, hi, hi, dear Daniel. Yeah, it's also our pleasure to be here. Thanks, thanks for having us. Hi, hi, Daniel, and hi all. Thank you for your invitation. It's it's great to have you on the show. So the way I like to start these conversations is by taking a step back and asking a, a taking a look at the broader picture. So can you start by providing a short description or like an elevator pitch for what is neurotech? Yes, actually, like to be very, very brief, uh, like Neurotech is a renewable energy and energy management company that implements innovative procedures to, um, to accomplish uh, like life-saving tasks. Uh, we involve end users in the design loop. Like we are not just uh, uh, doing impact study or doing like surveys in the market and just producing products and selling products. No, but we only... Oh, sorry, and we only uh, involve the end users in the design loop so we can eventually have the best suited product that is optimally fit for the users and for the market and also for the company. Yeah, thank you for that. And so did I hear you correctly? You said life-saving tasks. Yes, yes, like like life-saving tasks. Like uh, we are not like uh, selling products or we're here to uh, uh, commercially uh, or like a purely commercial. No, we are trying to have life touching uh, challenges and we are trying to solve it. Like uh, I, I will explain like uh, more challenges as we go deeper in the conversation, like something related to refugees, something related uh, to underdeveloped countries where there is no national electric grid existence. There is mm -hmm. complete absence. We generate like energy marketplace. We put that energy marketplace among the hand of those people so they can uh, leave burning woods and those issues and go to some clean and uh, more modern lifestyle. Amazing. Like that's, we are searching for those issues. We are not like uh, uh, importing solar panels and selling them. No, we don't do like pure commercial uh, tasks. Can you, let's talk about that because that sounds very interesting. Can, can you share more about in terms of refugees and, and working in, in underdeveloped areas? Uh, I mean, what does that look like and, and really what, what are you doing there? Sure, sure. Like uh, in, in underdeveloped countries, you know, there is uh, no energy resources, no electricity grid, no infrastructure even at mm -hmm. the first place. There is a complete absence. So what do people do usually there? They burn like fuel-based or wood they collect from forests, they cut forests and burn the wood. So you uh, find the climate there or the atmosphere there very like uh, dusty and full with the with with bad smell that are uh, not only uh, bad for their uh, health, but also for the climate. They, it will destroy the climate at the end of the day. So uh, they, they they are like in an extreme need. They need to to cook. They need to get warmth in the winter. So there, that's the only solution actually they have. Uh, but by providing like the energy marketplace using renewable energy, uh, like the solar integrated with some energy storage to have energy at night with fair distribution among the people, like you can cover one village with one energy marketplace system from Neurotech. So you can uh, also, you can share it uh, fairly among people if, if one have two electrical devices and the other have one electrical devices, naturally, the one with more equipment will consume more. But we can guarantee the fair distribution among people, also among refugees, by using AI algorithms that can share that energy on a fair basis. 
And, and so this AI platform, is this what you mean by an energy marketplace? Energy marketplace, like it's it's a market. Mm -hmm. You can monetize it or you can leave it for free. That based on the business model to develop that solution there. That mean market, that you are uh, providing energy as one resource and you can distribute it among people. You can like uh, monetize it or leave it for free, depend like if it's uh, a donation. Someone paid for the energy, for the uh, solution cost, we can put it there and we can distribute it fairly among the people. That's the job of the AI. Marketplace, it, it, it means like, uh, this is the market of energy, okay? It, it behaves like a market of energy where people can do the transactions. As I told you, like we can do a peer-to-peer -peer sharing among people. If uh, some villagers have uh, solar panels above their roofs, we can take the energy generation from there, store it, and get, distributing it at night. Also, peer can sell to another peer. Like they can do some transactions among each other. So it's a market where energy can be sold among people. That's that what we mean by marketplace. The AI can guarantee you the fair distribution, can do the calculations for those transactions to save everyone rights. You will get paid by something. You will get paid by another thing based mm -hmm. on the generation. So it's one, one system, several beneficiaries. Amazing. And so in a situation like a, a refugee camp or an underdeveloped nation where, or area where there are no renewable energy systems, what do you do? So you, you you go there and you help install, for instance, solar panels, or, or where do you start if if there's an area where there's really nothing? And like you're saying, there people are just burning, cut, cutting down trees and burning wood for fuel. Um, where does where does Neurotech begin its work? Yes, like th this is a scenario is a, a really simple scenario, but you need to find first of all the place to install the system. It's uh, a modern system that would not occupy uh, a huge amount of area or space. Uh, you need to find also a place for the panels. As I told you, you can find an, one aggregated site or distribute it among or over the uh, roof of the villagers based on the area that it covers. And then you can uh, do the wires connection rehabilitation inside those uh, shelters or uh, uh, cottages, I think, if I'm pronouncing it right, for the villagers. Uh, so th that you are uh, covering the all area with electricity with the minimum resources needed. That's what uh, we need. We don't need to establish the infrastructure. No, only two wires per, uh, per house, shelter, cottage, uh, beneficiary. Uh, it will be more than enough. And, and, and is this, this type of work, is this funded by philanthropy is this are these donations is it a non how, how is it funded because if you're working in a in an area like um you know like a refugee camp for instance i mean uh, i'm not sure if there's a way to to make money from it so is it is it um funded by by donations and outside yes, sure yes sure uh th this is the business model actually because as you said uh such areas uh you cannot take money from people because they are in extreme need. So, and at the same time, there are a huge amount or a, a tremendous number of NGOs who are operating there, trying to uh, like cut the CO2 emissions, 
uh, doing the climate change fighting actions like stop burning the 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 wood stop cutting the the forests especially in uh, the midwest of africa so uh, those uh, ngo operating there can uh, like support for uh, such solutions mm-hmm. uh, at, at the other side actually so we do not like uh, put all the uh, company revenues be drifted in the uh, non-sustainable ways for commercial uh, like point of view for the company uh, the other two products like uh, in, in developed countries you know uh, houses regular houses uh, consumes huge amount of energy and those uh, sometimes are consumed with less efficiency and with no use actually it's just consumed and you will feel it at the end of the month when you have your uh, energy bill uh, knocking the door so uh, exactly we have solutions for for uh, like commercial and it also helps fighting the climate change, reducing the CO2 footprint of, of us. We have energy uh, management systems uh, that even in, if, if you are, I think you are actually in a developed country. So there, there, there is a huge uh, energy consumption exists and uh, such challenge must be met. We provide uh, also AI-based uh, energy management solutions that can take the control uh, over HVAC, over lighting, over uh, like uh, uh, if there is uh, like bombing or something to control water flow and those issues, uh, it also uh, like uh, will optimize. At at the end of the day, it will optimize the energy consumption to be exactly uh, as per the need. That's the first thing. Uh, The the second thing, uh, we can manage that uh, you take your energy from green resources. So you are not only committed to reduce your consumption, but also to consume uh, green uh, origin energy. So if we combine those together, uh, your footprint will be at minimum because the energy consumption will be reduced and the energy consumed will be from green origin. So the such combination combination will be the best for, for uh, households and for the climate at the same time. And it will be like a commercial uh, non uh, NGO funded uh, stream or revenue stream for the company to, to keep the sustainability of the company. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And so, so this, these energy management solutions and um, basically getting green energy, uh, is this a solution mostly for businesses or, or individuals can, can get it as well to use at home? It can be implemented anywhere, but you know, it's, it's a system. It's a system. So uh, individuals can get but I think it will be a little bit uh, in this level of development, uh, 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 like costly for 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 households, like one one house. Right. But if you are talking yes about like a compound with with more than uh, like 20, 30 departments, it will be the best situation. So for businesses and the huge uh, uh, buildings. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, and and yeah, there's there's a lot of research demonstrating that actually buildings. Uh, I don't remember the exact numbers, but buildings are a huge contributor to uh, CO two emissions, and and a lot of it comes down to inefficient heating and cooling systems, and and just mismanagement exactly. of energy exactly. in general. Exactly. And, and exactly. It, also, we provide like services like the the thermal inspection for all the surrounding of the building to see. the house uh Rahman, would you mind just um saying that last part again it, it froze you said that you provide inspections yeah 
like uh, like a surrounding inspection using uh, thermal thermal uh, imagery so we can check or decide from where there is like a heat uh, uh, loose from the inside of the house or the mm -hmm. building so we can uh, make more modifications not only energy management in terms of energy no but we can also fix the isolation of the building because here we have a huge heat uh, penetration from inside to the outside so you are burning fuel or consuming electricity to heat the inside but it actually at the end of the day penetrates outside right so it's with no loose no use so we can we can we can not only implement uh, the energy management but also doing uh, like a, a checklist to to ensure that there is uh, no problem with the building then we implement the energy management like we have a full set or end-to-end -end solution yeah, and that's that's really amazing because it's you're absolutely right it's so important to understand like you said if you can do that thermal imaging from the outside you can see where the heat is escaping from the building and and first you start if if you have a it's like if you have a boat with a hole in it before you start managing everything else you first have to put a you know fix the hole and and stop the exactly. stop the leak um that's that's the first thing and and before actually moving on to management or, or green energy um so that's very interesting i see what you mean it's a full end-to-end -end solution uh where where do you work i mean both on the commercial side which we're talking about now in terms of energy management solutions as well as the uh, the non-profit side and and supporting refugees and non um and underdeveloped areas do you work around the world or are you focused in one specific region how where do you focus Yes, we are currently, uh, we are based in Jordan. Mm -hmm. We have started in Jordan. We we also implemented the solution for the refugees, also in the refugee camps for the Syrian refugees, actually, in Jordan. I see. Uh, that's our base. Uh, after actually getting the Zaid Sustainability Prize, we will we will have, like, the potential and uh, the reach to, to start outside of Jordan, actually. We are thinking in MENA region. Like, we have... Uh, witnessed actually several cases that we have in Jordan in, in neighbors, uh, for example, Iraq, Lebanon, those countries have extremely weak grid and even with no grid, like uh, sometimes with no infrastructure even. Mm -hmm. So we can, we can uh, like help uh, people around us in MENA region in, and in Latin America actually. Also in uh, Ukraine, uh, Ukraine, I think, uh, like after disaster recovery, uh, there will be like a huge damage to the infrastructure. So we can uh, we can help for sure there. Uh, that's that's our first uh, like thinking about uh, expanding outside Jordan. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes sense. And and you mentioned that you recently won the Zayed Sustainability Prize. So congratulations on that. That must be very exciting. Can can you tell a little bit about what the what the prize is? Uh, actually, the the prize, first of all, I think there were a huge amount of applicants. And uh, I really uh, thank the evaluators who, who like can spot that impact among the huge amount of uh, applications. So that's uh, provide us like how fair the, the process is. Uh, next, uh, we are sure that we are on the correct track because we've been evaluated by like tier one evaluators. So that's uh, 
providing us with more confidence to move forward actually in, in this solution. Uh, three, the, the impact. Actually, the impact is uh, not because we are providing the solution, but also other eyes can see the same impact. So we will keep moving forward to increase our impact and our footprint in like not only in Jordan, but also as I told you in, but eventually in the whole world. Mm -hmm. So we will use like, I think the Zaid Sustainability Prize will will like support our engine to turn faster actually. And, and make a bigger impact. I mean, these kind of... Sure, sure, sure. At the end of the day, we are looking for the impact. As I told you, we started with life-touching uh, tasks. Then uh, to, to keep the company sustainable, we just like uh, integrated some commercial branches for the revenue. And, and... So, like we, we, we plan, we think like, uh, like impact investors. And I think that's very important because at least what what I've been seeing in today's sort of, um, I suppose economy is the word, but uh, I'm not sure if, if that's actually the word. Um, in, the word impact is so important. Uh, people are really looking to get involved in and and support and, and buy from in companies that are making an impact. And sometimes this impact is humanitarian, sometimes it's environmental, sometimes it's, there's all sorts of different areas in terms of the type of impact that can be made. But it sounds to me that based on what you're saying, uh, the impact that Neurotech is making is very much focused both on, um, it's it somehow, you're, you're taking an environmental and humanitarian approach from using energy and applying it to both uh, the climate and to helping people, uh, which is a very interesting uh, way to look at it because usually, at least from what I've seen, um, frequently energy companies are focused on really providing an impact. If they're going to do an impact, it's going to be on the on the climate. Um, but you're, you're taking it one step further by really focusing on the people and by bringing energy to places where well, there is no energy and it's very difficult to, and just on this point, I mean, how important, this might be kind of a silly question, but it's worth remembering when we talk about energy, how important is electricity and energy? Why is, why is energy and electricity so important? Actually, I can answer you with one example. Like when we went through the camp, uh, we were as I told you, involving the end users, the beneficiaries, the refugees themselves in the design process. So we asked them this question, this same question, mm -hmm. uh, why electricity is important to you? See that answer, like our medication will get damaged without refrigeration. We cannot store our food in the refrigeration and it gets really hot in summer area here in Jordan, at Northern Jordan. So the food cannot uh, like uh, stand for four hours. So they will lose it for sure. Uh, there is no fans. There is no lights for safety, for, uh, for educational purposes. You know, uh, th that area was, uh, you know, COVID-19 invaded the world. So there were uh, like a trans transition from uh, school-based to internet-based education, the online education. So there is no electricity, means no communication, no internet access, no tablets or phones 
charging they after like uh, if you charge it it will get empty at the end of the day so there is no communication you will feel like you are at the Spanish age or modern technology no Abdul communication Abdul Rahman, sorry oh, would, would you mind yes, um it, it froze again would you mind saying after um I heard something about Stone Age, but it was kind of shaky. Would you mind just yes, saying that uh, last like part again? People, people said literally, we feel like we are getting back to the Stone Age. We are out of any modern equipment that is for sure energy-based or electricity-based to operate. I mean, the lighting, the fans, the TVs for if, you, if the children need to get some education. There is no internet connection. As I told you, no refrigerator. The water at uh, those areas are not very clean, so they need to pass the water through purifiers. Okay, these purifiers are electricity based. So also uh, they had to drink from that water directly. So they will start to suffer from health problems. They cannot operate the respiratory devices to have some oxygen during COVID if they are uh, infected. So, you know, like I, I think no other device uh, can operate without electricity. So they, they felt literally uh, unsafe because no lighting, all, all, all is dark, all is dark around them. So I think uh, this, this, this is the, like, um, the definition or meaning of living without electricity. Yeah, and, and thank you for that example because it's so easy. You know, I'm currently in the U.S. I've been living in in London for for some time. These are areas where we take, or at least I take, electricity completely for granted. I just whenever I want to turn the light on, I turn the light on. Whenever I want to go on the internet, I turn on the internet. It it's always there. It always works. And so for me, it's something that you know, I, I don't think about. Um, and, and I think it's easy for, for a lot of people to just assume electricity is something that is always available and it's relatively inexpensive and you, you just always have it, you know, you just don't think about it otherwise. But there are areas, as you're saying, in the world where actually electricity is very valuable. Uh, I mean, of course it's very valuable, but it, it's it's rare and difficult to have on a continuous and um and constant basis. And in those, when you're in that kind of situation, you really understand how important um, electricity is just for everyday life. Not not even like you, you were talking about internet and, and TV and, and you can make an argument that those are luxuries. Um, but like you said, just for water purification, you know, just for, for basic water, you need electricity for that, for, for basic health, to run a hospital, you need electricity for that. The electri electricity is the life of our civilization. Without electricity, it's just like you said, we end up going back to maybe not the Stone Age, but we certainly go back very, very far. Uh, and we lose a lot of not just our comforts, but our the things that allow us to live healthy and, and safe lives. So I think to the point of that I was making earlier, you know, the fact that you look at energy as a humanitarian, um, from, from a humanitarian approach, rather than just seeing electricity as something that we need to reduce the amount of CO2 emissions or, or carbon emissions. Um, I think it's very important because there are a lot of people around the world who don't have access to, to electricity and, and people struggle as a result.
was there a moment um, when you realized that this is the work that you want to do? And, and this question goes for, for both of you. Um, was, there, was there a moment when you realized, actually, I want to make energy available uh, for, for humanitarian purposes and, and for climate, uh, for, to better the climate situation? Yes, sure. Uh, I think it's not only one question, like it can be divided for, for climate and for people. Yeah, that's like true. it started like, you know, we are humans, we are like sometimes uh, emotionally uh, pushed to do something. And uh, we, we are walking through the camp and visited a shelter. Uh, there were uh, a woman, like uh, she's a young uh, woman, 24, I think, 24 years old, holding her baby. Uh, she, her name, I think, is Noor holding her baby in complete darkness in the shelter. You know, the shelter is uh, like almost closed from four sides. Uh, complete darkness. Can you imagine the baby in complete darkness? Uh, he's crying. She have nothing to do. She is already tired. Uh, at that moment, actually, uh, we were like emotionally pushed. We, we need to do something. We heard about the challenge. We visited the camp to see what is the real situation is to think in a solution, what we need to do actually. So that moment actually pushed us one mile further that we must we must find a solution. And as entrepreneurs actually in the energy sector, with already, as I mentioned, uh, we are socially committed. Uh, we decided that there must be a solution for this issue. And that moment pushed us, as I told you, from the emotional uh, background or perspective. The other part of the question was uh, related to the climate. Uh, people were like, as I told you, burning, burning, collecting some uh, small trees and some uh, like uh, papers after they like uh, have their food or something. They do not throw all those papers or in modern countries, we recycle them. No, they collect them so they can burn them in the night to, to get heated or to have some light. So if you can combine those, the, this is uh, really destructive for the climate, for sure, not healthy for the people. And if you put it at one equation, the answer would be we must do something. It's not an option. We must do something. something. So that's the moment, actually, that uh, we, we took the decision. We get back to the company, HQ, and decided that we need to work. We need to connect day with night, 24 hour seven days a week. We need to have a solution until we eventually actually ha ha had it on ground working. And at the moment we are here, uh, it's making our solution, making the electricity available in the Azraq camp. Well, that's amazing. And, and an inspiring story, obviously a very difficult story because uh, to see, you know, a, a mother um, with her, with her child in complete darkness and not able to to see at all what what she's doing or what's wrong with the with the baby it must be very difficult but uh, i suppose i'm i'm very optimistic so it's these kind of difficult situations where um innovation and and ideas are born um and, and that's exactly what what it sounds like happened with you by by seeing a very challenging and and heartbreaking situation you've created a, a solution that is helping people and and making sure that those kind of challenges are are no longer around um and 
yeah, to both of you, Omar Abdul Rahman, thank you very much for your time. I think the work that you're doing is is incredible. And like I said, I, I really like this approach that you take of looking at energy as both a climate and a humanitarian question, uh, because as we've talked about, it, it really is uh, both. And it, it just depends on the context. So best of luck with with growing um, Neurotech and, and making it what it is, especially now that you have uh, the Zayed Sustainability Prize uh, behind you and, and, and supporting you with the journey. So if, if people would like to learn more about Neurotech and understand the work you're doing and, and either speak with you or, or support you in one way or another, what's the best way that they can learn more about about Neurotech? Yes, actually, uh, we have our website. Uh, it's online since uh, the mid of 2022. And we have also our uh, LinkedIn page. Uh, sure, people can contact us uh, or asking for any inquiry or any story, real story about our work, uh, like our impact, not only on the website, but using the info email. And also, I, I'm here uh, making it clearly that the managers will be directly responding for those messages, regardless of the nature of that inquiry. We encourage people to, to ask more, to increase our awareness around the world, what is the challenges available in other parts of the world, and what are the solutions young entrepreneurs are trying to provide. So for sure, like it's, it's a commitment now, I'll make it uh, public. Uh, the managers will be answering those questions. So we welcome, we welcome any inquiry. Oh, that's very generous of you. And and would you mind just saying what the website is for people listening? Yes, it's uh, neurotechjoe.com. Neurotechjoe.com. Neurotechjoe. So just to spell that. Um, N-E-U-R-O-T-E-C-H-J-O.com. Neurotechjoe.com. So again, that's N-E-U-R-O-T-E-C-H-J-O.com. And when you go onto the onto the Neurotech website, there's uh, everything you need to learn about the various yes. solutions. And as Abdul Rahman has said, the managers are on hand, ready to answer any questions that you may have, should you wish to reach out. So uh, Abdul Rahman, Omar, thank you both very much for your time and, and for the work that you're doing. Uh, I think these kind of, again, from the humanitarian perspective, it's much needed because the health and safety of, of vulnerable people are uh, is a top priority. And simultaneously, focusing on energy from a climate perspective is also very important because with the amount of carbon emissions that are um, happening specifically from buildings, uh, which sometimes don't don't get as much attention as I think they they really need, uh, it's very important that that we focus on just like you do from the very beginning all the way to the very end of energy management. So um, very inspiring to hear your work and best of luck with with all of the next steps. Thank you so much. And finally, we encourage everyone to apply for uh, the Zayed Sustainability Prize uh, that we believe that it will change their life. That's a good reminder as well. Yes, the Zayed Sustainability Prize is, is really an opportunity for anyone to, to make a bigger impact as, uh, as we've talked about. Um, so worth checking out and you can find more uh, information about the prize in our um, show notes in the links uh, associated with the podcast episode. So um, again, thank you, Abdul Rahman and Omar, thank very you. much thank for your you. time.
appreciate yeah. it and take care. This episode was done in collaboration with the Zayed Sustainability Prize. If you're interested in learning more about the Zayed Sustainability Prize or would like to get in touch with their team, you can simply click on the link in our description below.